Hi, my name is John Calvin and I'm joined as ever by Martin Luther Vandross. <laughs> <laughs> Martin Luther Vandross would be very interesting, <laughs> wouldn't it? I always get those two confused, I'm sorry. <laughs> His album, <laughs> 95 Theses and One Booty. <laughs> Welcome everybody to episode 74 of the Mid-Faith Crisis. My name is Nick Page. I'm joined, as ever, by Joe Davis. There you go. <laughs> Thanks. Hi everyone. Great to be back with you. How are you, dear boy? I'm, I'm alright actually, yeah. yeah. I went to see Amelie again. Again? Twice in one week. That's high praise from you. This must be really spectacularly good. It's just such a great show. I love it. I went to see Toy Story 4. Ah, now, okay, is it good? Yeah, it is. That's I, I mean, that's a relief in, in for everybody. all honesty, I, I didn't think it was as good as the other three, but no. it's not bad. I mean, it, you know, and there's just a joy in seeing them all again. And Tom Hanks is just brilliant. And yeah, you'll enjoy it. I cried, of course. Okay. They are evil like that. They just know how to tell a story and hook you right in. However, I did laugh this week. I went to the Comedy Garden in Brighton. That was funny. We saw Rhys James and Rosie Jones and Adam Hills. He is a very funny man. Adam the Comedy Hills. Garden. The Comedy Garden. They set up a tent on Preston Park and they put on these series of shows every night for four days. It's very good. Very reasonable as well. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay, great. Excellent. Good. Well, that's excellent. Nice to know. Nice to go and have a laugh for a change. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, you needed that really, didn't you? Have you been getting your kicks other than seeing Amelie again? Um, I've been in the garden a bit. Nice. Uh, the weather it's nice to have a bit of nice weather, and it's very strange oh, today. It? It's weird. Um, it's muggy. Very muggy. I read a really interesting book um, by a woman called Barbara Ehrenreich, who I don't know at all, but it's called Living with a Wild God, and what it is is it's an atheist. Uh, account of a mystical experience oh that does she's sound trying to make sense of an experience she had as a sort of teenager and young woman of sort of almost dissociation but but a real kind of mystical almost enlightenment moment yeah wow without any kind of attempt to well the actual complete antipathy towards any sense of a god okay you know, really doesn't want anything to do with the uh, monotheistic god of. Wow. Um, mm. Yeah, it's a bit deep. Great. But there you go. I'm still ploughing through your book. I say oh, ploughing just... like it's hard. I'm actually loving it so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, really good. I'm really enjoying trudging through I'm your book. I am loving trudging <laughs> word by word, paragraph <laughs> after paragraph through uh, your book. Yeah, very good. much so. It's excellent. Great. One of the things that I uh, did last week was I talked about the cycle of grace at work. Oh, right. Uh, and that's another interesting one because I suddenly realised how much, how honest could I be at work? It's not very easy, actually. Yeah. It's, it's a difficult one. You must have found this yeah. in your devastatingly unsuccessful stint as a Baptist pastor. Yes. You <laughs> you no, you must have had... It's very and you're hard. being kind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's hard. It's kind of like... Because I suddenly realised that I spend more time with these people probably than my family. You know, that, that's yeah, the, yeah. the effect of it. Is, and yet, how honest can I be? They know me really well. 
And yet even there, I'm doing this edited version. So the challenge yeah. of being sort of a Christian, being truly honest and authentic at work is quite difficult. Yeah. Which leads us, I think, beautifully, scriptedly, yes. into an email. Uh, it does, yeah, from Shane, our dear friend Shane. Uh, good friend of the podcast, who some of you who have uh, stayed with us from early on uh, may remember I interviewed, and he was speaking about the one we did on work. So we've had we've sat on this email for a little while, to be fair, <laughs> and the whole kind of sacred secular divide. And he said this. He said, uh, "People have always known I was a Christian, and I'm sure at times God would have wished they didn't know. <laughs> I think I used to wear it as a self-righteous badge of honour, but it lacked real substance and maturity in my approach, and it soon became a noose that did more damage than good." As I've matured through Renovari and other means this last 10 years, I've still had the courage to say I'm a Christ follower in my workplace, business travels, but increasingly I have looked to be a Christian in what I do and deliberately look for ways to display love through caring and listening for opportunities, little most of the time to just help a colleague, a stranger, a customer or supplier in a Christ-like way. And I think what is important is only that person most of the time would know it's been done. Such occasions to be Christ in work don't just happen. You must be deliberate. You must pray and discern opportunities to show raindrops of grace, then have the courage to act. They're nearly always outside your comfort zone. Well, they are for me, an introvert. And uh, yeah, that's that's a really good point, I thought. And he's coming over uh, from Oz in September. Shane, we would love to meet you. Please do yeah, come. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, come hang out with us. Although at the moment, England are losing... To Australia in the cricket, so I'm not sure I, I do want to meet him, if I'm honest. Yeah. Now, um, shall I read the one from Stephen? I mean, this one really needs a whole uh, episode, but I'm just going to throw Stephen's question out and then uh, you can either decide to, we can answer a bit or we can just leave it. He says, can you give us a bit of a history lesson about the church? <laughs> well... <laughs> Nick can. Uh, how it was founded and how it evolved to today. I was reading a book by Brian McLaren, A New Kind of Christianity. He talks about how the church today has come out of the Roman Empire where Constantine became a Christian but used Roman oppression to whip people into believing and following Christianity. He did this by setting up churches and appointing bishops, etc. I may be off the mark, but is this something you can explain and unpack? <laughs> um, yeah, we'll do I, that in 10 minutes. Gosh. Well, I could. But there's quite a good book on it. Uh, yes, there is. Tell us about called, that book. Well, called A Nearly Infallible History of Christianity by Nick Page. I recommend you get hold of that. It's a superb book. Uh, I think it's a little bit more complicated about Constantine than that, but I think, yeah. uh, you know, um, yeah, if we if we were to do that, that would be yeah. several episodes. And but, but it's worth doing. I remember when I was at college, when we actually were dealing with that issue, that very issue and that question, and uh, my then tutor, Stuart Murray, you know, really unpacking just what happened um, when Constantine, the emperor, was converted and what happened to Christianity, that journey mm. from being a kind of persecuted minority to suddenly, be, or in a relatively short time, becoming a persecuting majority. Fascinating. Mm. So we'll hold on that, but we will come back to it. I think you can sum it up in uh, uh, three words. Go on. Success is difficult. <laughs> well, yeah, well done. I was waiting for the bongos then, so that was that was a pleasant surprise. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well done. And um, Constantine uh, was a. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Don't say. It, don't say. It. Okay. Tim uh, says this. Dear Joe and Nick, thanks to the podcast and for the honesty around your mum, Joe. My friend and I, who meet for coffee before work every Tuesday morning, have talked a lot about growing old. We know old men who are reaping what they sow and have sowed both positively and negatively. And we both know men who we respect 
We believe that as middle-aged men, we can start to make choices about turning into the old men we want to be mm. rather than the grumpy gits we will morph into if we don't set our minds to being wonderful old chaps uh, who young'uns want, actually want to spend time with. And he says, good on you, mum. That's good. That's a lovely email and a really great thought. We and should just end the podcast there. We, really. <laughs> we should end the podcast and perhaps just by encouraging other listeners to say, go meet with your friends and yes. and meet with the intention of saying, how are we going to not turn into grumpy old people? <laughs> Be a very uh, positive evening. <laughs> it's a really lovely way of putting it as well. How do we turn our mind? How do we set our minds to being wonderful old chaps or chaps? Yeah, that was really good, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's a constant challenge. Good to, th- good to think good. about that. Thank you, Tim, for that. It's lovely. Yeah, thank you, as always. Great. And great to hear from you. And please, folks, keep the uh, keep the emails um, coming in because, you know, this show is only as good as the listeners' letters that come in because Lord knows we won't come up with any it's content. <laughs> <laughs> uh, talking of which, listen, what's been on your mind, Joe? Now that you've actually had space and time to think about something, really, rather than the turmoil of your life. Do you know, I do feel a lot more relaxed tonight. I've got to say, and I'm really enjoying it. Anyway, I want to talk about, and I've been thinking about this for a while, why uh, we should embrace atheism a lot more than we do. So that's what I thought would be fun for us to just riff around this week and to get some feedback from people on. Um, Because I've decided that... um, you know, when I was a minister of the church, it was hard to stand up and say, Does, today we're going to embrace more inthe- more atheism. But yeah, yeah. Now, now it's a humble podcast with no one It is one difficult, listening. isn't it? That must have been a nightmare for you to ne- negotiate as a pastor <laughs> with, every single week. Yeah, do you know what? I mean, I think my, my fault was being too honest, actually. Really? No, no I, you amaze well, not, me. Not really, because <laughs> people... Loved my honesty. And they would yes. always say to me, you know, Joe, we love the fact you're vulnerable and you're honest yeah. and you don't pretend to be something you're not and all that. But in the end, I had to say what I honestly felt on a view and it got me the sack. <laughs> <laughs> that is, people love it. People love it. And they say, they love, yeah, I love you real honesty. Only not that honest. Thanks very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't want you to be honest about that issue. No. <laughs> Loving everybody. <laughs> anyway, shall we move on quickly? Yeah, no, no. Well, it brings in what you just said. So these, this is something that you've thought about for years, but you couldn't talk about really when you were a pastor. But also I'm confronted with it every day. So the other day, met with a family and you know what was happening? They were they were having a run of, you know, what what they described as bad luck. And they said they said this and they said it flippantly. But there was also something behind it. They said, God's punishing me. You know, because mm. this had happened and this had happened and that had happened. And they just... Now, I don't think they really believed in God, particularly uh, the person who was saying this. But they did say that. And very often times, as we've said many times on the podcast, in my line of work, I'm just meeting with people all the time. Say, oh, we don't want any religion. We don't want any of that. It's, it's you know, the implication being, you know, it's a whole load of rubbish. And sometimes mm. they say that and sometimes they're polite and they don't say it because they know I'm a minister. But then you scratch the surface a little bit and you discover that the God that they think doesn't exist, I also don't think yeah. exists. So I am equally atheistic about that particular uh, God. And, and and I think this is an important thing for us to, to discuss because actually it comes back to the Ten Commandments and the Second Commandment to do with not making idols. I My contention is that we absolutely do make idols of our gods. Now, I'm not, I'm not suggesting for one minute that we melt down gold stuff and, you know, form calves and other objects. 
But I genuinely think we become so wed to our concepts and ways of thinking about God that it actually stifles our growth. Right. That's 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 my contention here. So what you're saying is it's not so an idol is something to which that you you make sacrifices and you expect some yeah reward basically. Yes, exactly. And uh, yeah. you Good you're suggesting that what we're doing that is to false pictures of God. You know that we we turn yeah. it and then we're so wedded to it we we we're going to fight for that or argue for it or do whatever or you know despite all the evidence to the contrary. Absolutely right. Yeah, okay. I think so. I think so. Yeah. And uh, dear old Ludwig uh, Feuerbach, I think, was the guy who said... Oh, well, not him again. Good old Ludwig. Uh, that's a great name. I, I'm Ludwig sorry. Feuerbach. I, if I had a spare child, I think I would have named him Ludwig. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, think, I think he said, God is mostly a projection. You know, he's a bigger version of ourselves. And that's how right. it works. We create God in our image and then we worship God and then we wonder why we don't like it. So that Anne Lamott saying, you always know when you've made God in your own image, when it turns out he hates the same people that you do. Yes, exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when God refers to God's self in the Bible, you know, we get mm. I am who I am. I am my own special creation. I yes, I think I think he did actually sing that at one yeah. point. <laughs> so. That's a psalm. <laughs> so, so he, <laughs> it does sort of... Take us back into the, I suppose, the history of religion. You know, if we were if we were podcasting mm. three thousand years ago, I imagine that our our podcast would be uh, based around man. How about the god of thunder last night? Did you see that lightning? Did you hear <laughs> that thunder? It was big, and then it, and then mm. I'd be saying, well, I didn't because I was busy sacrificing to the god of fertility. But, uh, you know, <laughs> again, to be honest, it doesn't sound much difference to them. <laughs> no, because because the history of religion is you have all, if something's gone, you, what we do is we we call um, what we don't understand God. Mm. So I don't understand why there's thunder and lightning. I don't understand why my crops failed. So I obviously, and then and, and then because you believe in a universe, a three-tier universe with gods up there and us down here, you start to think, well, hang on, obviously I've displeased the god who didn't send rain on my crops this year, so I need to sacrifice to that god. And mm. so we get the whole mm. sacrificial system, and most of the world religions were into the whole sacrificial thing. Mm. Interestingly, Jesus comes and abolishes the whole notion of it, or does jesus abolish it well i think yeah. i think jesus was abolishing it but then i think people have misunderstood paul's writings because he uses sacrificial language because it's what people understood and saw yeah, down the temple yeah, yeah. all the time to then sort of reintroduce it to christianity in a way it was never meant to be so yeah. again then religion starts to be transactional once again and you know, it's about what I do in order to sacrifice to God and please God. And in return, God blesses me. And so we still have today the prosperity gospel, which is basically a sacrificial system, yeah, isn't transactional, it? transactional. Yeah. yeah, exactly. A transactional system. And I, I think that is the very way of thinking about God that Jesus came to abolish. Mm. And so, you know, we end up with these gods or um, or God, if we're monotheistic, who are super beings like us. They, they're in the sky, they're outside, they're mighty and powerful and they can do anything they darn well like and we need to 
please them. Yeah, okay. Well, I think that's obviously we can see a lot of systems where that's the place, where that's the case. Um, yeah. One thinks of the Greek gods. Greek gods are essentially yeah. human beings, only with sort of bigger beards and more power, you know, and that's just the women. But um, no, you know, they're, they're basically it's like a soap opera going on in the sky, basically, Greek gods. I think when you get to the Jewish god, Hebrew god, it's quite interesting. I mean, there is certainly yeah. that that thing. There is he's, he's very anthropomorphized in the, in the early things. Yeah. And, you know, he does all yeah. these things and there's ways of talking about him. Yeah. And they can see that. There's also a bit more where they're sensing there's something bigger than that, though. They're not quite right. So their god is a god, for example, who is outside of nature. So he's mm. not in the thunder, actually. He's yeah. controlling the thunder. He's beyond the thunder. Yeah. They they make that leap. Yeah. So they're identi- They're saying God is not the thunder. He is something greater than that. Yeah. And that, that you can almost see that. Well, you can see the journey within the old Old you, Testament. You can. The way they're thinking about him. Yes. I mean, obviously, there's always going to be that level of. Of projection, I suppose. Of course, there is, and 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 obviously, even the Old Testament writers are still, you know, do not have the benefit of satellites and space travel, and they are operating within a three-tier system. I don't know if they thought the world was flat when they wrote the Bible. Well, they, you they, would they, know the that concept, stuff better than I. Concept: the Old Testament concept of the world is basically a flat thing with. With the yeah. shale, the kind of after yeah. the abode of the spirit after death underneath, yeah, and and then the firmament, which is like an upturned sort of pudding basin over the top. Think think like the Truman yeah. Show if you ever seen that film. Yeah, you know it's Love like that. this great big dome yeah. with little holes in it through which the water came because the waters are above that. The waters oh, are beneath okay. the earth and they're there above the earth, so they Thank come you. up from beneath, they come down from, and then that's the concept of. Um, uh, 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 that's the Hebrew cosmos, really, uh, yeah. which makes perfect sense, really, when you think they didn't. Well, you know, yes. it's quite a good explanation from their point of view, really. But yeah. they did think. I think that they they did sort of move to that point where God was sort of uh, beyond that. So, what in what ways do you find that expressed today? Then, in terms of people making God in their own image, if I throw that one at you. Oh, oh, well, that's a that's a really good question, and I might need to take longer to think about it. But I think right. uh, so, so. First of all, I, I don't want to talk about people inside the church. I'm just talking about the people who don't go to church and that I meet day on day who want a funeral service organised, but they want some religion because they think there might be a god. But the god they think might exist is a bit of an ogre, and he and and he's basically Superman up mm. in the clouds. And so I, as I've said to you before, you know, it's, I get this extraordinary position where I as an ordained Baptist minister am leading a non-religious funeral and then a family member gets up and says I know you're up there watching us <laughs> and I'm thinking well blooming heck your theology is yeah. a disgrace and actually I could have helped you with this if I if I knew you wanted to believe which of course they do want to believe they mm. want to believe that they're going to see their loved one again so so I think I think those people have a wrong notion of God. And I think more specifically in the church and through, as we have said many times, through the worship songs we sing, constantly reinforcing this warrior-like, very masculine uh, image of God, I think is doing us no favours at the moment. Mm. I honestly don't. And, and, you know, like I say, when... When God is at work, not just in the church, but outside in the world. And we, you know, here we are living in a world which Lord knows is facing so many terrible problems. When a church is still sort of standing up for misogyny 
and dare I say it, use that homophobic word. No, perhaps I won't because I don't want to be controversial. But, you know, still standing up for things that really they ought to have moved beyond. I think that's that's deeply unhelpful narrative about the God that they are worshipping. So rather than moving in the direction of inclusion and help and thinking of all the world as our brothers and sisters and, you know, helping to provide some of the global solutions we need to the problems we're facing at the moment. Actually, I see the church in some places actually retreating, defending, you know, sort of hunkering down and, and longing for a lost theology where the world was great and we didn't see bad people and women knew their place. Isn't and that the a caricature? I mean, you're so, caricaturing quite a lot, aren't you? Yes, of course, I, I with sometimes yes, I am caricaturing, and I apologise if, if I'm being unfair and not doing enough respect to the arguments for all those uh, misogynistic <laughs> ways of thinking. But, uh, but, nice, nicely recovered. But, but, uh, but the point, the point is, you know, sometimes you have to caricature a little bit. In order to make the point. Now, I am I know I am being a bit unfair on all the deeply held convictions uh, that many people have about the role of women and, you know, all, all the other hot potatoes that we tend to get ourselves in. But I still think, actually, when you push it back, patriarchy has so shaped our understanding of God in the way that if we had matriarchy, you know, it, it, we'd have this over feminized mm image of God so I'm not saying that one's better than the other I'm just wanting to identify where I think you know some an inf a cultural influence has been mm. really unhelpful on our notion of God and we need to change we do need to change so for example you know when you read some of the things that the Pope who was the leader of the church whether we like it as not as Protestants and some of the things he said about people of colour and the way we were to treat them. And when you think about some of the churches that we could name in history that really stood up for slavery mm. and very pro-slavery. And some of the churches, of course, you can you can look at online now that still want those things, you know, because unfortunately there's always those kind of minorities around. But, you know, you realise that they had a concept of God that wasn't anything like the God I think Jesus was promoting, but it was influenced by their own, you know, image mm. of themselves. They were just projecting out themselves. And and Karl Barth said, he said, when we talk about God, we speak about ourselves with a megaphone. And it just rings true, doesn't it? That actually God is in so many ways just like us. And I'm, I'm wanting to move us beyond that. And that's why I'm saying embrace a bit of atheism. Don't, don't trust that God that's like you and baptizes all your beliefs and all your prejudices and all the things you like. God actually tends to come in and disrupt. Well, he does. Thing. And I think that, but I'd like to challenge two things here. Two things. Yeah. yeah One is not. I'm not sure atheism is the right word because atheism means. No, possibly not. I don't believe in God. Whereas actually what you're saying is we need mm. to, you know, uh, reject false views of God. You're not rejecting God as such. You're not rejecting a divine being. No. You're saying, I don't believe in that version of God, the same one that you don't believe in. You know, that kind yes, of thing. I, and, yes, and, exactly. And, okay, you got me there. No, 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 I'm not trying to yeah, get you. I'm, I'm actually challenged with what the right word for it would be because it's more um, recalibrating our views. And, I, 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 you know, I know that you're going to talk about... Um, uh, 
you know, the, sort of the negative, the uh, the yeah, negative yeah. theology in a minute. But apophatic you know, tradition, yeah, apophatic yeah. to you as well. Yeah, we're gonna have to bongo that out. Um, but you know, um, <laughs> you know, the, the other thing is, that just as I, I think I'm painfully aware of two things in my life. One, just as people I disagree with make God into their own image and make God a reinforcer of their own prejudices. Mm. Is there a chance that I do exactly the same for mine? Yeah, exactly. And I would yeah, say there's a pretty yeah, 100% yeah. chance of that. Yes, exactly you know? right. And so I need to guard against that. You know, in other words, it, all right, it might be wrong to project God as a, you know, a feudal monarch uh, wanting to enslave people and demanding our worship. It might equally be wrong to, for me to project God as basically a sort of, yeah. Western liberal, nineteen sixties, yeah, slightly hippie, hippie father who who still wears sandals. 100%. You know that that kind of thing. Yeah. Exactly. So I've got to guard against that. Yeah. The second thing is, how do we get rid of the traces of that? You know, it's for the, okay. I think I've moved. I think I have moved away from the idea yeah. of God who who's writing down everything in in his book. You know, and who's fundamentally disappointed with me. You know, we talked a lot about those bad images, and yet it's very very hard to get rid of that language. And to 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 actually get rid of that from my my yeah. my psyche, it's it's kind yes, of it still. I, I think I'm doing well with it, but I think it's slightly yeah. still yeah. there. Well, I think. I mean, I don't know whether that was rhetorical. No, I'd really like to hear your answer to that you know. question. Well, I I just think lots and lots more metaphors. We can't describe God. We can't understand. I mean, God must, by very definition, by being divine be beyond our mm. descriptive words. I think what I'm arguing for is that we've taken a few words like mm. king, warrior, mighty, you know, attributes of God and absolute words, father mm. even. And we've taken those metaphors and we've enshrined them and we've made them the main metaphors. And I think that actually one of the ways to help dislodge some of the unholy is just use more metaphors. You know, we're not at war. Maybe in a world that desperately needs peace, it would do us a favour not to have a god of war. Yeah, yeah. So perhaps start talking about, describe God as the peacemaker, the peaceful one. The, you, you know, perhaps it would be useful to describe God as grandma, controversially. Well, I've talked about George MacDonald doing that a lot, and I'd just like yes, to say that. I'd like to say that so, again because I haven't mentioned. You got there first. I haven't mentioned him for quite a few episodes. <laughs> no, you haven't. No, actually. I've been very restrained. Yeah. Well, well done thank you, you, and thank you. <laughs> but what a dude! And because I, I think, I, and you know, I'm certainly not being facetious about this. I think it really would be helpful for some people to use grandma yeah. rather than father, particularly if their father happened to dump them and walk yeah, out yeah, on their yeah. mother and never have anything to do with them when they were three years old. How great is that going to be for you to have a concept of God as a father? Answer, terrible. But if gram, grandma was the one who gave you all the unconditional love and acceptance in your life, then that would be a perfect metaphor. Again, God is not a grandma. And that leads us into this apophatic okay, tradition. OK, apophatic. You know. Here we go. We've touched on this before. Tell me, explain it for our, list, our no doubt, our one listener at the moment. Well, yeah, I'm sorry. But, well, there's, there's apophatic, there's cataphatic. Uh, this is my, you know, <laughs> Janet and Jill uh, guide. To, Janet and Jill. Oh, better say Janet and John. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah, anyway. You're very trendy, aren't you? <laughs> I'm very right on, you know. <laughs> the Janet and Jill guide. <laughs> 
<laughs> so the apophatic tradition is this. The apophatic is what cannot be said about God. It's what can't be said. And the and the cataphatic is what can be said. So you need these two things to go hand in hand. As soon as you say God's a father, you equally need to say, but of course, God is not a father, not a literal father. As soon as you say God is a provider, you have to say, but not a literal provider in the way you understand provision. Otherwise, that will lead you down all sorts of strange and errant roads. So, so as soon as you make a statement about God, you've equal because God is bigger than our notions of God. So this negative theology comes around when when you've had too much of people stating very firmly what God is, uh, you and, and 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 losing sight of the mystery and the wonder of the divine one. Mm then you need the apophatic tradition to come along but and say, but of course you do realise those are all metaphors and you, you can't stretch those metaphors too far. You need lots of metaphors, I think, to try and describe. Just like you use lots of metaphors to describe love. Well, love, God, and, you know, we may be talking about a very similar mm. thing here. But a poet, you know, no no scientist can give you a textbook definition of love. You don't you don't go to the dictionary. What is love? Oh, there we are. Da, 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 da. That's it. That's exactly the chemical formula for love. No, you have poets writing hundreds of different metaphors to try and describe something that is actually very difficult to describe. Well, I think so. Yes, <laughs> I'm going off on one now. I'm really sorry. This is what happens when I have more yes, energy. I I'd liked you when you were tired. No, I think um, <laughs> I think it's very interesting. Uh, one for me, the problem I have with um, apophatic theology is, is is that it's firstly I think it's quite annoying. It's because the minute you think of a metaphor, somebody tells you, "Oh no, yeah, he is, but he isn't," and you go, "Okay, right, that hasn't really gained us anyway." I I so I, secondly, it doesn't <laughs> seem to me what Jesus did. Jesus was quite cataphatic. He kept saying, "God is like this." God is like that. And he sort of left it up to people. And at one point he says, if you see me, you've seen the father, which you can't get more cataphatic than that, in my opinion. So no. I, I think I would personally, I think that it ties in what you're saying earlier. The role of the apophatic is to get rid of the unhelpful stuff. Yes. Exactly. And it's very good as a corrective measure. And it's very good as a first thing. But I'm not sure what it's got to offer by its very nature, positively, in terms of. You know, I don't want to. I don't want a relationship with a God who is nothing, who is where everything I think well, about Him is slightly wrong. In that sense, that seems to me quite well, annoying. Uh, well, it, it, yeah, I can see that it might be annoying, but then that—that's where I think one comes to, and that's why I find it helpful uh, to think of God beyond those things as being being itself. So, yeah, like I say, I'm not an atheist because it's not that I don't believe God exists is i i wonder what what else exists other than god mm. i think god is actually being itself now even using those words i realize i've got massive misunderstandings because you know even in saying that i think i have a notion of what being is and what everything is and everything and so god must be beyond even that it's just the best language i've got at the moment but it got, we've got to say something it's like that song that really annoys me one of many songs that really annoy me yeah which is so that, you know, goes that worship song that goes, oh, my words cannot say not even in part of the debt that's owed yeah. to this humble heart or something like that. Yeah. Well, yeah. if words can't even say it in part, you might you as well it? go, meh, 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 meh. Exactly. Well, I do tend to do oh, that. Oh, I know. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, but you do, you do it in a more aggressive way about worship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. True. 
we can say in part we can see through a glass darkly as the elfwise version says yes we can say in part so i would like to say that god is like the sea so there you are there's a there's a metaphor god's like the sea and we are like a ship that is sunk in the sea and so you know uh, the all of the ship is in the sea but not all of the sea is in the ship <laughs> hang on do you see where i'm going no with this? i need a beer now <laughs> no but that's all of the hang so, on do that one again all of the ship so, is in the so, sea but no oh i see what yeah, you mean there's a lot of sea outside of, the ship there's a lot of sea outside yeah. the ship so that the, the totality and i think that that in this universe here we are we're ships in the sea in the sea of god and so this is not um pantheism as some people fear you know where you're saying you see that dog there that dog's god no because because God is in the dog, but the totality uh, of God is not in the dog. But the totality of the dog is in God. Right. In and him, the same is true. We live and move and have live our and being. breathe and have our being. Mm. Thank you for taking a verse out of context to make my point. This is I make. I used to make a living out of that. <laughs> it's a, it's a skill. Yes, it is. It's a gift. <laughs> so there you go, and that is why in terms of new practices that help me connect with the divine. You know, I used to have this very set way of praying. It involved sitting down and, and closing my eyes and praying in my mind, thinking that these this energy is going out to a God out there who is going to... And now I like sitting in silence and just being. Mm. And that is my prayer. Mm. Because I figure if, if I am in God and God is in me, I can, I can just be... I mean, the divine must know what I want, so I don't need to take so long over the shopping list. Right anymore and actually i can relax into it so so and that's been the help of the apophatic tradition to go back to answer that question actually knocking down some of these false ideas right. some of these false notions saying no but god's like no but god's not that and that's limited it's it's a metaphor and metaphors are always helpful to try and say something is like something something you can't explain you need something to compare it to so, you know, you it's, it's useful to say, well, it's a bit like yeah. this and it's a bit like that, but it's more than that. And I think for me, that is the challenge, actually. That's what I like. You know, I, I, I like what can we find that opens up new ways of understanding God? How can I be how can I be a cataphatic in a better way? I think is what I'm interested in. I came across this phrase while I was um, uh while I was sort of thinking about this subject a bit, and uh, it's called effing the ineffable, which is such a well, great phrase. Well, I imagine you'd be great at effing. I came across it on a book, which, and I read the first bit of this book, and I, hadn't, I didn't understand a single flipping word of it. And then I found that it's, it effing pops up a lot elsewhere. Ineffable. And I just, So I don't know who's responsible for this phrase. Effing the ineffable. So to, something is ineffable, because we used to sing about God, yeah. you know, there immortal, was. invisible, ineffable. And I used to, oh, I used to think, excellent. what does it mean? And the only definition I could think of was that which cannot be effed, which, uh, which, yeah. uh, which is probably true. But it, uh, ineffable means that which cannot be described in language. It's too great for words or it's too transcending. It transcends expression. Yeah. This is the Oxford English Dictionary. Unspeakable, unutterable, inexpressible, which is similar to what you're right. kind of saying, really. And similar to what irritates you. Well, so no, it doesn't irritate me, actually. I understand that. And it's not that right. that irritates me. What irritates me is the it is would be the assumption. I don't think this is what you're saying. Is that that we therefore we can't say anything. 
No, exactly. No, no, no. We've got to try. Because I think our, our, our my absolute job and our job is to F the ineffable. It's to actually, yeah. it's to, it, what can we say that's effable? Actually, effable is a word. It's a, it's an, it is. It's an archaic. <laughs> well, it's we, an ar- we should F off. <laughs> we should. It's an archaic word which says that, that which can be or may lawfully be expressed or described in words. So it's the opposite of that. So our job is to bring these two things together. Cata- cataphatic, apophatic, effable, ineffable. Yeah. Let's call the whole thing off. No, it's to say, you know, how do I F? <laughs> I want to F the ineffable. That's what I want to do. Yeah. Well, let, let me let me give some substance to that, a picture of that. Mm. To me, effing the ineffable was that moment of silence at the start of the bird watching weekend. Do you yeah. remember it? We were on the little bridge looking at the sand martins and we said, let's just be still and be here. Mm. And in that moment, I think we all effed the ineffable. Right. Because it's like, well, we can't use words. But somehow in our appreciation, which another word you might use for that is praise, somehow in that moment... We connected yeah. to the ineffable, I think. So, and, and, and again, more and more for me, it's, in, it's happening around nature and in good relationships and in, you know, food and wine and all the yeah. rest of it. I think for me, constantly, it's the struggle. I understand the limits of language, but I still mm. think there is stuff that you can say. There is stuff that you can... There are, there are great... As, yeah. you, as you encourage us, there are new metaphors out there that might well yeah. unlock an experience of, of God, of the divine, or whatever you want to, to, to use I think, for, I for think, people. I think that would be really yeah. powerful. So I really want to keep searching for those. Yeah. You know. Yes, exactly. And I, and I think one of the things we can do sort of almost straight away is is, is just balancing. You, no one really believes. When, when you push people who describe God as he mm. all the time, no one actually no. thinks God's a man or anything like that. So so I think, you know, they understand, I think, that God is spirit or they use words like that to describe. So, you know, call God she some of the time. I remember having a conversation with the minister and said, what, do you seriously expect me to 50% of the time, you know, call God she? And I thought, well, I said, well, yeah, I think that might be a step in the right direction because i think it would be a help to men and women who over masculinize god is that a word i've just used well, it's, it's, so it is you're, you're effing the ineffable you're Thank trying you. to find new words so i think Good. you're right we should definitely um <laughs> yeah, we ineffable should. off <laughs> yeah we um, should thank you very much for listening uh we'll be yes, back and- in a week's time is there anything else you want to say I has two things. Oh, okay. One, I'd love to know what you think about mm. this. Is this a whole load of effing nonsense uh, that we've been talking about? Or what do you think? So please, please feedback. Joe at midfaithcrisis.org. Love to hear your emails and your response to that. And two, I want to say on a really practical side, because this wasn't meant to be just some sort of heady exercise. Um, this, this Working through this stuff has actually really helped mm. me. Is is brought me to life, and I have genuinely found praying without words such a helpful exercise. So I really want to encourage people if they, if they're in a bit of a funk with their you know relationship with God and they don't know what they think. And do you know what? Take the pressure off. Find somewhere good to sit. I mean, I would say preferably outside, but it doesn't have to be outside. But do you know somewhere? And just be, just be still for 10 minutes. Slow the whole thing down and be in it. Your ship in the sea. Don't worry about not being on it. <laughs> just, just be that ship in the sea. Be 
in God and relax a bit. And you know what? You may you may just find things falling into place a little bit more. And it would be good to hear from you in terms of metaphors that you found helpful about God, actually. Yes, if What be, ways do you yeah. F the ineffable? Let's all F the ineffable together. I'm going to keep using this phrase. It's so good. Yeah, exactly. Okay, all right. let's go. Thank you very much. <laughs> See you next week.